Seinfeld. The raincoats is over, but we are just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recap. And now, here are the two guys that are the literal antithesis of close talkers, at least in terms of how we do this podcast. I'm Rob Sussman, here's Akiva Winokur. Akiva, how are you? I was just hoping you didn't say, here are two guys who've never made out during Schindler's List. <laughs> well, I know I have not. I, I can't speak for you. No, I definitely have not. I definitely didn't see it in the theater either. Yeah, yeah. I did see it in the theater, but it was like I had to like go for like a school project. And I, I, I really, you know, if anybody was going to make out in the theater during Schindler's List, they should have done it when I saw it. Because I think I was probably like one of like two people in the theater. Like I, I saw it like months after it came out for like a school project, like for extra credit. That's always an awkward time to see a movie. They used to have like a lot of those like second run theaters where it's like it's not quite on DVD yet or whatever the precursor to DVD was. Yeah, VHS. But so you go there and there's like four there's like four people in the theater. Wow. And you're like what am I what am I doing with my life? <laughs> so here we are ready to talk about our first two-part episode in a while. I feel like when was the last two-part episode that we talked about? The finale from season 4? Yeah, fin- season 4 had the uh the finale and the uh trip. Okay. So here we are to talk about The Raincoats, which is a two-part episode. Akiva, I feel like a lot of the two-part episodes are sort of two-part episodes because there's like something big happening in the episode, I really couldn't figure out why this needed to be a two-part episode. It's a really interesting question, and I, I don't really have a good answer to it. You're right. The trip is, even if it's not a good episode, it's sort of like this epic journey to L.A. to find Kramer. And the pilot is t- tying up an entire season of Plotline with their television show. And, you know, they needed the, all the reactions from all the people they've met in season four. So there's like a lot going on. But there's really nothing, not not even knocking this episode, you know, good or bad, it is it is certainly the least, and you know, the boyfriend, you get Keith Hernandez, you have a big guest star. It is certainly the least consequential of the seven or so two-part episodes. Well, Judge Reinhold is here. Yeah, I don't know if, I don't know if that was like NBC's pitch that week. Like, Judge Reinhold, 60 minutes of Seinfeld. <laughs> or the Schindler's List tie-in, if that was, if a lot of people were buzzing about Schindler's List and they were trying to sort of like ride that wave of sort of marketing of like, hey, it's the Schindler's List episode of Seinfeld. But for whatever reason, we have the two-part Raincoats episode. I guess they just felt like they couldn't fit it all in. There was too much going on. Yeah, I, I I do wonder at what point they decided to make it two episodes. You know, you could also do something to be continued. The problem is there's not even anything here. Like, they would have had to really amp up, like, the mid middle part of the episode, right? Like, there's no point where they could have done a reel to be continued that would be interesting, no? Yeah, I don't think so. And, you know, in watching it as the full hour block, it was hard for me to even figure out where the end of episode one was. Yeah, I agree, because... They, you know, this was, I'm sure, at a certain point, like, okay, this is an hour, and they didn't necessarily have, like, a commercial break or anything at 8.30. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I, I don't remember what they do in syndication with this, but certainly the stand-up is well after the halfway, you know, the, the middle yeah. stand-up is well after the halfway point of the episode. All right, so we're talking about The Raincoats uh, from April 28th, 1994. An episode written by Tom Gamble, Max Pross, Larry David, and Jerry Seinfeld. I feel like this is the first Seinfeld episode I can remember, at least that uh, comes to mind, that has a bunch of people, a whole mishmash of writers. Yeah, wait till like the end when they just want to give everyone some extra money yeah. in season nine. And <laughs> season nine is ludicrous. There's people who like didn't even write the episode who get credits. There's like 15 credits on some episodes. All right, so we're going to jump into uh, all of this here today in the podcast. Akiva, before we talk about the raincoats in our two-part episode, do you have any Seinfeld news to talk about? Sure, I'll give you a couple quick hitters. Quick hitters! Um, yeah, so we have, uh, I, this has probably uh, happened many times before, but Forbes does all these year-end lists. 
And I don't, is this a pet peeve of yours also, Rob? Year-end year list? list on December 1st? Uh, a little bit, a little bit. I was surprised to see some year-end lists already. Like, isn't there so much going on in the holiday season? Like, and it's so boring. Like, we get back to work in January and it's like, oh, there's nothing going on now. There's yeah. no holidays till, I don't know, Easter or whatever. Right. Uh, you know, there's no, you know, you don't have a lot, you don't have a day off till President's Day. Let's do the list then when everyone's bored and they're at the computer. Right. I agree. Why, why do the list now? Well, like when you're like taking a flight back after traveling for the holidays, you know, that that flight from after Christmas before New Year's, that's really the sweet spot for the year end list. Hopefully that'll be the week that we drop our uh, top 10 Seinfeld podcast episodes of the year list. Okay, I I think the you know, if you yeah, if you're flying back from your parents, you had a rough time gotten some arguments with your crazy parents, that's when you want to read about the top 10 highest paid comedians of the year. And also, anything that happens in December gets short shrift from these lists, right? Yeah. You just you don't find out about the next year is like, hey, remember December 2012? Mm-hmm. I know it's uh, January 2014, but let's talk about that now. Yeah. I saw the other day I was reading Alan Sepinwall's top 10 shows of the year. Well, it's, mm-hmm. de- it's December, first week of December. Yeah, who knows? You Ooh. know, what, what could come out December 3rd and be the best show of the year? Yeah. By the way, he did have review in his top 10. Yeah, he had second straight year. I think it actually slipped. Oh. Um, <laughs> All right. Well. And he had Leftovers number one. And I know you binged The Leftovers this week. Yes. And uh, I did too, although I didn't complete it yet. Yeah. But it's great. Yeah, it's great. It's so good. Okay. Will you pay anybody money to watch The Leftovers? It's not that type of show. <laughs> because I it, because review, my thesis was like, if you don't like it, there's something wrong with you, not the show. Mm-hmm. Whereas I understand, like, I wouldn't tell my wife to watch The Leftovers. I don't think she'd enjoy it. Yeah. Okay, well, that's a conversation for another day. So what is the year and right. news for Seinfeld? So it has the uh, the top 10 comedians. And I'll just give you number one here. Uh, that would be Jerry Seinfeld with $166.5 million this year. Boom. It's worth adding that these lists are to be nice guesstimates. Mm-hmm. You know, possibly complete guesses, all these lists. <laughs> okay, so there's no science whatsoever? Because, you know, we're, we're both billionaires, but there's no, you know, we're not on the Forbes 400 list. Yeah. Like, it doesn't make sense. Another quick hitter is uh, Sad News. Uh, one of the guys you see in every episode, you see his name, Howard West, one of the executive producers of Seinfeld, yeah. passed this week. Yeah. So he is all over those inside looks uh, when you, uh, especially like in the early season ones, uh, talking about the show and like the genesis of the show. So yeah, sad news. But uh, how old was he? In his 80s, right? Uh, he was 84. Okay. All right. So good run for Howard West. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure uh, I'm sure he's made a, made a lot of cash off Seinfeld. Also, uh, how about a Seinfeld tweet of the week? Ooh. Yeah, we, we do this sometimes. There's not always a great tweet, but I like this one. At Jewerstein tweets, a millennial in my elevator said Seinfeld was a stupid, boring show. And yada, 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 he's missing now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> also, then what do you think of uh, Seinfeld uh, setting up this uh, monthly residency at the Beacon Theater? Um, I, you know, he, I feel like Billy Joel inspired him, you know, yeah, that's the he, new thing. Work once a month. Yeah. And then they retire your number and they put it up on the, like in the, in the garden or wherever. Yeah. That's nice. It's not a bad deal. The question is knowing Jerry, does he do the exact same set every month? I don't know. Does he typically do the same set or is he like no. a Jay Leno where he's like always doing different stuff? I, I think he definitely does some of the same jokes. He's, he's, you know, pretty alone amongst like, uh, top comics now and that he doesn't really retire his stuff mm-hmm. uh the way like a louis does where he'll never tell the same joke once uh it's out there you know on television or in a special mm-hmm. but he definitely has a rotation it's not like he has the same you know 30 bits like he probably has 100 he's more of a uh you know a pearl jam where he has 100 songs 
and he's just picking the top 30 for every Because I know at one time he threw everything out. He like hit the reset button on everything. Oh, he's definitely not telling any jokes from like sign language, but you know, some of his jokes are old. What's interesting about Jerry's stand up is that he has never made any references in any of his stand up to the fact that he created Seinfeld or the fact that he's really wealthy. Mm. You know? So it's like it's it's out there, but he'll never It's not relatable. Never there's no yeah, there's never a story like here's a funny story from Seinfeld, you know, which I'm sure would kill, but he's never done that once in his life in his act or you know here's a weird thing about having a billion dollars yeah that's an interesting point uh, i feel like that there are definitely people like different comedians that would talk about their experience like i had seen like chelsea handler out here at pantages theater and you know she's certainly talking about like experience from there i can imagine like kevin hart like is talking about something like that or amy schumer but yeah jerry isn't gonna do that interesting it is kind of crazy like that's his life is that of a very famous rich person. But in his comedy, you know, his comedy is no different than when he was, you know, a struggling guy talking about airplane food. Yes, nothing funny there in terms of being very successful. Well, that's like kind of the Eddie Murphy thing where it's like it's hard to be relatable once you live a very different life. Like you can't walk out on the street without being bothered every five steps. Like, but it's hard to do a bit about that. Yeah. All right, well, let's jump into this because we got a two-part episode to discuss here with the raincoats and uh, a lot going on. We have Jerry's parents. We have Judge Reinhold, as we've mentioned. Uh, we have Schindler's List. But let's start off with uh, some stand-up. And Jerry is talking about, uh, he opens with talking about close stalkers and then starts talking about handshake guidelines. Akiva, do you struggle at all with handshake etiquette? Uh, not now, because like if you stay in your house, there's not a lot of handshaking going on. Yeah. But that, no, I'm. But I'll tell you, when I was a kid, a lot of times grownups would be like, they'd comment on your handshake when you're yeah. a kid, right? <laughs> they'd be like, you know, get, do that again, but firmer. Or like, you know, you give them like the limp because you don't care. You're not interested in this handshake. As an adult now, and I'm sure you feel the same way, I can't imagine a scenario where I'd comment on somebody's handshake. Some kid, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> listen, punk, get a little more oomph in there. <laughs> listen, Sparky, let's try this one again. That's funny. I feel like I have a good, I'm good handshake. I think that's one of the few social interactions. I feel like, okay, handshake, boom, I'm good. I rarely miss. I think I've got uh, the right amount of strength, right amount of leverage, right amount of length on it. And then boom, but, but like everything else is a disaster for me. Hugs, sort of like, then if we do the, go the handshake into some sort of like high five, it's a disaster. But if you just want to do solid handshake, that's right in my wheelhouse. Do you, are you good with the eye contact during the handshake? I think also? so. I think so. I've, I've struggled to master the handshake. I, I need to take like, uh, I need a tutor. I need a handshake tutor. I mean, I have never gotten any sort of feedback, positive or negative, but I feel good about what I'm doing. And that's one of the rare sort of uh, human interactions that I feel that way about. Look at all this confidence oozing out of you about your handshake. <laughs> my <game>. handshake. <laughs> oh, man. I think I do a good job. I think I really consciously. Okay. All right. Good. Get in there. Boom. Handshake. We did it. Look at this braggart. But then anything else where it's like, uh, you know, so as I, I'll go for the handshake because I'm confident about the handshake. Somebody else is going for the hug. Like, hey, come here. You like, ah, oh, blew it. Yeah, I'll turn a hug into more of like a shoulder bump or a fist bump. Yeah. Don't, gi don't give me a hug. I don't want any hugs. Yeah. 
Okay. So Jerry is going through all the different things that are sort of wrong with the handshake. He ends it on like, uh, I once had a guy who was a close talker with uh, too much pressure and then pulled me in. I said, hey, buddy, that's it. Three strikes. You're out. Uh, yeah, which is, uh, you know, I guess leads us right into the episode. Yeah, I guess so. I guess th- three strikes. You're out is the punchline for the joke. I feel like it's a little uh, not the best work. No, I mean, if you invented the three strikes, you're out. It's funny. So maybe it was like uh, not as much of a thing now, but now it's like so such like a common saying that yeah it couldn't be the punchline of a joke all right so we end up in monks and we find out that jerry's parents are staying with him and this is a problem because he has a woman that he is seeing uh her name is rachel and uh, actually a normal name for the first time in a couple of weeks here and so rachel is staying with him and this is a problem because she also lives with her parents and jerry would like to get with her and he claims he's getting a bit backed up He's getting backed up. We really don't see a lot of Rachel in this episode. Yeah, we don't see her like, too we much. We hear a lot about her. And we see we like see her physically. Yeah. But like she barely speaks. Yeah. She's really just sort of a foil for this story. Yes. And so she lives with her parents too. George feels like, oh, hey, maybe this is catching on. Maybe other people are going to be doing this. Oh, uh, yeah. It is worth mentioning that, you know, we don't see her next week. But in the final two episodes of the season, Rachel is the girlfriend, you know, who goes to the Hamptons with Jerry. And uh, so we do see her again. Wow, even after she's forbidden by her parents? Yeah, I mean, she's a grown-up. I guess that sort of, like, makes her the bad boy. Listen, maybe she was grounded and then the ground... Like, she's grounded during the fire next week, but then during the Hamptons and the opposite, she's back. Yeah. Well, that sort of, I think, takes the bite off of the end of this episode, not to spoil it, but I'm assuming you've seen this episode before if you're listening to this podcast, where at the end of the episode, her father's like, that's it, I don't want you seeing my daughter anymore. I'm like, isn't this a grown woman? Like, why is she grounded? I mean, this is a woman in her 30s. Doesn't that make uh, Jerry more of a bad boy, though? Like, That's what I'm saying. I feel like that's the case. And then if the end of the episode is like, oh, now I can't date her anymore because her dad says no, and then she's in the next couple episodes then I kind of feel like, well, that wasn't really a great ending to the episode. Yeah, well, yeah, history, you know, when you're watching the episode the first time, if you're rating the episode like a lunatic like we are, then you don't realize like, oh, that the ending doesn't have as much bite because she returns. <laughs> okay, so maybe they'll have some mention of what exactly happened, and we'll see that when we go ahead and watch those episodes. So we also find out that, so Jerry's parents are headed to Paris. They're on some sort of like group trip where they're going to Paris, and uh, they're staying with Jerry up until... They are leaving for the airport, I guess, on Thursday. It seems a little out of character for his parents to go to Paris, but I guess Jerry's paying for it, so uh, it may not have been their idea. I think it's part of it also that it's out of character, but they're going to be doing this thing, and so the trip is in the works. So also George mentions here that his parents would like to have dinner with the Seinfelds. Now, this is one of the things I really do like about the episode, sort of like this running plot line about how the Costanzas want to have dinner with the Seinfelds. Yeah, this is this is really like sort of one of you know, maybe the main sort of takeaway from the episode is sort of the war between Jerry's parents and George's parents. Yeah. So very interesting uh, to watch how this all plays out. Anyway, so here comes this guy. His name is Alec, and he is trying to recruit people to be in the Big Brother program. He's some sort of recruiter. This scene here feels like it's an ad for the Big Brother program. Like, Alec is very robotic when he says it. And then Joey is, like, literally robotic. You know, he's just repeating a line he's been given. Yeah. And I don't know I don't know if he's a, a bad actor or, like, he was just told to play it like that. It's almost like Joey has been kidnapped because we find out that his father is in another country. And he's like, wouldn't you like to be a big brother to somebody like me? Yeah. And it's not like Alec is even Joey's big brother. Like, you assume, like, oh, you know, this is my little brother. 
But uh, you can have your own Joey, George, if you want one. But no, it's like Joey's even up for grabs. Yeah. Like, is Joey living in an orphanage while he's here? Is he living with Alec? <laughs> like, what's going on with Joey while he is in America? Wait, so he's living in an orphanage, but he doesn't want to go see his father in Paris because the flight's too long? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know where he's living with. I, I feel like the mom's got to be in the picture somewhere. Okay. So he's his mom is in the picture, but that's why they need the Big Brother program for like some sort of male influence. Yeah, he needs he needs a father figure. So George gets sort of guilted into, sure, I would uh, be thrilled to be your big brother and Alec is going to get in touch with him. And so now George needs to be the big brother to the kid. The kid also then slips up and like says it again afterwards, which sort of speaks to that this is like some sort of scam. Yeah, he feels a little scammy. And also this is a little bit like last season when with the old man where like they became it's, it's the opposite. little brothers. Right. Yeah, it is the opposite of that. All right, so... Jerry and George walk down the street. I feel like this is the start of the era where we're going to get a lot of sort of walk and talk on the street set. And so they're talking about first that they've moved the question segment in Jeopardy. Now, Akiba, you're a Jeopardy guy, right? Yes. So where is the question segment currently on Jeopardy? It's after the first break. It's not after uh, single Jeopardy, like they say in this episode. They've moved it back, I guess, to uh, midway through the first round. Yeah. Uh, Jerry and George are saying they like it better at the end of Single Jeopardy. Yeah, I've never not fast forwarded. I, it's funny we just discussed like what we would say <laughs> last week on our thing. Yeah, but I've also never not fast forwarded through it when I watch Jeopardy. So talk about a dated thing here from 1994. Jerry tells George he needs to go into the bookstore to pick up a French to English dictionary for his parents. Yeah, if you went on vac- vacation and there's, you know, you go to France in particular, there's not a lot of English speakers or there's a lot of people who don't speak English. So I-, I guess that was the thing you needed. There was no apps or anything for it. <laughs> yeah. So George has a stroke of genius. He says, hey, your parents are going to France. Why don't I tell Alec that I'm going to France and then uh, they could send postcards back? Alec. Yeah, I think uh, that would be that would be uh, a great plan. I think they're probably great with kids, Morty and Helen. <laughs> well, they don't have to actually do anything with the kid yet in this plan. All Morty and Helen have to do is just send the postcards at this point. That's all they have to do is just drop the drop George's postcard to Alec, having a great time in Paris. Uh, au revoir, George. Uh, I feel like even that is too much to handle. Plus, asking Morty to spend the money, even if you promise you're going to pay him back, Probably not going to happen. Yeah. Well, George definitely has some flaws in this plan. So we end up with then in the apartment, George is telling Morty and Helen about that. He doesn't have any stamps. They need to buy French postage. And so George says he'll reimburse Morty for it. Of course, uh, this is going through Morty like a hole in the head. So Kramer comes in and uh, Kramer needs some hand lotion from Mrs. Seinfeld. What do you think about that? You know, they're looking for stuff for Kramer to do in this first part of the episode. I don't know. I mean, I guess I, I've never used hand lotion myself, but I, I guess it's a thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess that Mrs. Seinfeld has some really good hand lotion. And we see that Morty notices Kramer's pants and he got them at Rudy's used clothes. And so George realizes that he could be selling his dad's clothes at Rudy's uh, used clothing store. Akiva, is the used clothing business still uh, 
up and happening like in this episode. I think it is. I, I don't know. I've never like been to a used clothing store, but I feel like there's like a vintage thing. I feel like there's plenty of stores still. I don't know if it's less popular than it was then. Yeah. You think it's less popular? I think it's probably more popular. Yeah, I agree. You know, you were just like saying it in a way where it's like, this is not anymore. I, this doesn't exist. Yeah. I also like when uh, when Kramer says to Morty, when people like you die, their clothes go here. <laughs> yeah. And then Kramer has a couple of good uh, pratfalls with uh, the lotion and the slippery doorknob, uh, which is all good. So then George says to the Seinfelds, hey, do you want to come over? My parents are making dinner. Mrs. Seinfeld very quickly goes into, oh, we have plans. And they're very vague about these plans. Yeah, they don't want the paella. Okay, so George leaves and Jerry wants to know, what plans do you have? And they reveal they have no plans. They just never liked the Costanzas. And that's believable. Smooth move by Helen, though, with the plans thing. Yeah. And so they talk about that they've never liked the Costanzas. They're always fighting. And Jerry didn't know that they could detect odd behavior in people their own age. Right. It's like, I knew they were crazy, but I didn't know that you knew they were crazy. Yeah. This is also tricky. Like, I don't know if you had any good friends growing up. Well, I could end there probably. But like, I don't know if you had any good friends growing up. And then like (laughs) your parents were becoming friendly. And then it's like awkward because also like as a as a parent of older kids, then, you know, then you have, you know, when your kid has a friend. And you're, you're friends with the parents, but then like the kids break up, then it's like your relationship kind of has to break up too. It's very awkward. Yeah. Because you can like go over their house and like bring your kid who hates the other kid. And like sometimes even there's, you know, especially with, I mean, I only have girls, so I only know, uh, you know, daughters that the, you know, like g- the girls will have like, you know, these fights to like break up for a week. So then like you have to take your kid's side and it's like, forget that guy. I'm not talking to him. So it's, it's very, it's very complicated. Basically, you shouldn't become friends with your kid's parents. Yeah. I actually can relate to that, not from me, but from my brother when we grew up, like there was a bunch of kids like in his grade, like on our block and the parents were all sort of uh, friendly. But then as they got older, they sort of went in different directions. So you didn't have friends, but vicariously through your brother, you understand. Right. I saw what it would be like to sort of grow (laughs) up and have friends. I hear you. And friends and, and, and have them be friends with your parents. Okay. So Elaine buzzes up with her new boyfriend and his name is Aaron. Yes. Okay. And we find out that he is a close talker. And Helen wants to know, what does that mean? And Jerry says, oh, you'll see. So let's talk about the close talker. The close talker, I feel like, is pretty infamous. I feel like that to this day, I think probably uh, gets its credit from the Seinfeld episode. Akiva, where does the close talker rank for you in memorable Seinfeld uh, boyfriend or girlfriend? I mean, everyone remembers him. He's he's more of a heel. He's not likable, the character. He's not supposed to be likable. And Judge Reinhold, for whatever reason, always has a punchable face, I think. Yeah. You know, it's also, you know, it's funny, but similar to the low talker and how we discussed, like, it's not really a thing. Like, nobody really speaks that close. Like, because if you did... You'd, you'd get comments 50 times a day. Like, there's no reason, you know, if you did that once to Kramer, which he does, Kramer would be like, oh, no, you can't do that. Right. It's certainly exaggerated, but I definitely have run into close talkers. There are people who speak close to you, but uh, they're probably just trying to kiss you, Rob. <laughs> and I feel like the close talker never really has, like, great, fresh-smelling breath either. No, no, the, that goes hand-in-hand. Hand. The close <laughs> talker does not have, like, a stick of gum in his mouth. Why is that? Is it just, in general, people don't have great breath, and then the close talker, you just notice it more? Or is there something about the close talker? I think the same lack of social instincts where, ah. like, you know, is, is the same person who wouldn't think, like, hey, how's my breath? That's a good point. That's really good. You know, to me... While it's very fun, hell, it's the close talker. To me, I just feel like that 
it's one of those things where we never really get an explanation. And I feel like it doesn't have any sort of tie in whatsoever with the other big reveal at the end of the episode that he just loves old people, which is then sort of like the Schindler's List gag at the end of the episode. It just seems like that there's two completely different things about this one character that we barely know. And there's no connective tissue between he's a close talker and he also likes to hang out with either old people or like strangers from out of town. And it's funny because a lot of times we say like, oh, if they had like one more scene per character, they could have gotten into it more, tied it together. But here they had nothing but time in this episode. And you're right. There's no like it's just a character quirk. If there's no it doesn't tie into the end. It's, you know, it doesn't tie into his other thing that he loves, the Seinfelds. It's just a thing that is. It's just weird to me that he just has two things and neither one is really explored. Right. Like Rachel in this episode doesn't have any things. Right. <laughs> right. But he. <laughs> they could have given her that she was a close talker. I guess that wouldn't be a problem. Maybe that she wanted to hang out with the parents. <laughs> I don't know. And I, I think the, individually they're both funny, but you're saying maybe like. We could have had a character down the road be like uh, a close talker. And this guy's just his his thing is that he loves old people. Right. If you introduce Aaron and he's the close talker. OK, that's that's great. But then you also have like it's almost like maybe like in uh, if they had like two different episode ideas and they tried to they say, OK, well, we could, let's make this into two parter and let's give him both these things. Like it should have been two different boyfriends that Elaine had. One was like uh, wanted to hang out with the Seinfelds more than Elaine. And the other one was a close talker because there's really no sort of like overlap between those two things. It's true. And I feel like a female close talker might have been funnier also. <laughs> OK, like she's trying to kiss everybody. So here comes the close talker and uh, he's there and talking to everybody. He wants to give the Seinfelds an envelope full of French francs. That's awfully nice. Uh, yeah, I feel like, you know, you come back from vacation with like other currencies and then you're like oh i'll use this next time and then you just lose it <laughs> and he also has a friend who works at the met and he wants to take the seinfelds on the trip what do you think it is do you think that he loves old people or do you think he just loves tourists i think the story about aaron is that he doesn't have any friends and he just found like he knows that these old people here are suckers to um you know just go anywhere with him and like do stuff and he just wants like a little bit of attention. That's he's like excited that they give him a soda, you know. Do you think that maybe he was an orphan, and then maybe it's just like he has parents? So it would have been funny if it like tied in that he was in the Big Brother program, or yeah, like he's a close talker because no one, everyone would walk away from right. Him, so <laughs> so he like he needs to keep them close by talking in their face. We've instantly improved this episode. He should yeah, be the guy from the Big Brother program. Yes, the the co vice presidents of common sense here. We would have uh, we would have been great in the room, even as like squeaky eleven year olds here. We would have been piping up. Yeah, so that's really good. So I, I do think it's something about that he likes old people because even in one of the scenes that he's in where he's like talking on the phone, there's like a picture of like an old person in a frame next to the phone. So I feel like it's something about old people more so than tourists. Now, I have a theory that um, every, people usually disagree with my theories, but here people always like this one. Ooh. And, you know, Aaron, this is his girlfriend's ex-boyfriend's parents, which is insane. But it's sort of an in-law thing where I have a couple friends who are, like, obsessed with their in-laws, mm -hmm. you know, that they, like, love their in-laws. 
And those are always like very broken people. Broken people love their in-laws. Is that what you're saying? No, like it, it, there's something off about it. Like you, normal people should not. You, it's fine to have a good relationship with their in-laws. You should like your in-laws ideally. But people who like are obsessed with their in-laws. That's a weird thing to me. Yeah, it's a little odd, but something to explore uh, probably another time because we have two parts of the raincoat to talk about today. But I, <laughs> I, I, I definitely the logic is sound. Right. I mean, I'm sure you like your in-laws, Rob. Sure. Uh, hopefully you're, you're not obsessed with them. Right. Like if I was dating my wife again, like I could not imagine, you know, ditching my wife to go hang out with her parents. Uh, no. Or you just like the parents of somebody I just met. Right. Like like your like your wife's ex-boyfriend's parents. That probably right. wouldn't happen. Right. Think about it like that. How insane this relationship <laughs> right. is. Right. My wife's ex-boyfriend's parents. No, I would not be taking them to the Met. <laughs> and also, how how good is this friend at the Met? Where he doesn't even have to call. He if he just shows up with old people, they'll get a behind the scenes tour. Yeah, like he can, he's not busy. He's a good guy. Is he though? Everybody loves the close talker. <laughs> All right, everyone loves Aaron. Fine. So then he leaves with the parents. Elaine is sort of like really uh, incredulous about the whole thing, and Jerry realizes that they just did him a big favor. Now he can call Rachel, but he can't get a hold of her again pre cell phone. Can't give that hotline bling to Rachel. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> so he can't get a hold of her. All right. So we see George eating with his parents and they're saying like, oh, did you happen to ask about our dear friends, the Seinfelds? Yeah, they the Costanzas think of themselves as like, do you think these are their best friends, the Seinfelds? I think so. Yes. I mean, that's so, you know, they, they should hang out with Aaron. Really, <laughs> we should have just set up Aaron with the Costanzas and that would have been an interesting matchup. That would have been good. And then we could test just how much does he love old people? Does he do you really love old people? We're going to find out because you're hanging out with the Costanzas. And so Estelle made all this paella. We have a lot of paella talk in this episode. And so maybe tomorrow. Maybe they'll come tomorrow. I've never heard of paella outside of this episode. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff in it. They said meat and fish. I think so. You know, we I, like kosher people, some kosher people eat meat and fish separately. Right. No kosher paella. So like you can have it at the same meal. It's not like meat and milk. But like you use like a different fork and it's like separate course. Yeah. I feel like I had it once. I feel like that there was a lot of stuff in it. It's not it wouldn't be on my list. If I stopped keeping kosher this minute, it wouldn't be the first thing on my list. No. You could do better. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> but anyway, so then Estelle says, Oh, maybe they don't like us. Maybe. So no one else likes you. She's on to something. And so, uh, yeah, George is uh, really like, stuffing his face and says uh, he can't figure out what the reason is going to be. George is like oddly defensive about his parents in this episode. It's one of the most interesting interesting things about this episode. Like, it, George has this, like, sort of, like, uh, natural, like, I, you know, I hate you guys, but I'm going to have your backs here. You yeah. know? It's very interesting. All right. So, Jerry's up in his apartment, and Rachel never got over there. And then here comes Aaron back with Helen and Morty, and they had such a great time, even though uh, Morty is arguing that Monet was nearsighted. Yeah, he was painting without his glasses. Okay. You have a take on that? I mean, I could see like if I didn't have glasses, I would. But I'm not. I'm not into art. I don't. I don't even know what Monet's p- pictures look like. All right. So Rachel calls up. It's too late. So uh, an opportunity wasted. Jerry's going to call her later. So here comes Kramer. He comes in with the previously aforementioned the titular raincoats. By the way, with the Rachel thing, like Jerry's rich, he can't just get a hotel room for that's a night. That's what I was thinking. I don't know. Like uh, you can't find anywhere to go. Yeah, that's a little bit of a flaw in the plan. A little bit. I mean, uh, we've seen Jerry how many times in Seinfeld, like parking his car and making out like uh, all of a sudden he's like, you know, a 14 year old kid. Yeah. And and we've seen him blow money on much stupider things than a hotel room. (laughs) Right. 
Right. You would think so. Or like that he can't like uh, go to like somebody else's, even like um, you get a hotel, you, you name it. There, there seems like there are many or put solutions. Morty and Helen up in a hotel. Like we see them in, in future episodes staying in a hotel. Yeah. So I don't know why he didn't spring for it here. He's paying for this trip to Paris. So you think he's got to be loaded, right? Yeah, he's doing well. He's doing okay. So anyway, so now here comes Kramer in the raincoat and uh, Aaron close talks him again. A good fall from Kramer when Aaron uh, gives him the close talk. Yeah, a few pratfalls from Kramer in this episode. <laughs> yeah, because he says to Kramer, uh, you must be Kramer. I heard about you. And then that's when he knocks him off his feet with the close talking. And uh, Kramer says, I like, oh, I heard about you, too. Yeah, it's not like Kramer to not mention the close talking. also. Right. <laughs> So then uh, Kramer is wearing the executive. That's a hot item at Rudy's. How does Kramer know that the executive is a hot item at Rudy's? Did Rudy just repeat like, oh, that's a hot item? Yeah, I'm not sure because usually like used clothing stores don't get in 30 of something. They usually get in one of something, right? Right. So uh, he may be making this up. Probably. (laughs) He's kind of a shady guy, Rudy. Uh, yeah, Rudy is really like the the used clothing business is not what it used to be. He's not a stand up character. <laughs> All right. So Morty invented the executive raincoat, we find out. And so he has a whole box of them at his place in Florida. And so they're going to go into business about this. So Morty is going to get the raincoats overnighted up to him from Jack Klompas. And then Kramer is going to move the raincoats and get them to the distributor, which is going to be Rudy. They come to an agreement that Kramer is going to take 25% on this deal. Akiva, you're a numbers guy. Is this a fair deal for Kramer? The raincoats are Morty's. Yes. So while Kramer is just a salesman, I think 25% is probably high, right? I, th- I think he's saying finder's fee is 10%. This isn't really a finder's They'll fee. They'll debate this later in the episode. Kramer's going to think that he should get more. Morty is like, hey, hold on, hold on. He should just get a finder's fee. 25% seems on the high end here. But uh, again, these are raincoats sitting in, sitting in his garage. So I'm not sure, you know, like how that ties into it. Because he wasn't doing anything with them if he didn't find out about this. Right. So he's not just... The finder, he's also like going and doing the the deal. But then Morty goes with him to the deal. So I'm starting to feel like that 25% is probably too high. Yeah, I mean, Kramer was the brains behind the operation. But I think maybe somewhere between 10 and 25, like 15, yeah. is probably more what Kramer should be getting. What do you get at the eBay store? I don't know. I've never sold anything on eBay. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that probably not 25%. So I think that probably Kramer is getting a good deal. Oh, you mean when you like the physical, like the the yeah, you take something to the eBay store, they just sell it and they do everything for you. Oh, that always seems so easy. Like I pass the eBay stores. I'm like, oh, I do that, but I've never done it. You would take stuff to the eBay store or you would open an eBay store? No, 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 no. I would take, please, I'm not opening up an (laughs) eBay store. Come on. Um, But I would take something there. Like I have have plenty of things I could sell, but I'm, I don't know. It, It feels like very, I don't know. It's not my thing. Yeah. I'm not a salesman. I don't like, I don't like anything money related. Okay. Why? Why not? I'm not. I'm not like a salesman or a businessman. I just like. Uh, I don't know. Money's like. Uh, I don't know. I'm not. I, I hate selling things. You don't want to sell, or you don't want to work. I, no, I, I don't. I. I hate negotiating for stuff. It's yeah. like it's always awkward to me. Like you give me fifty dollars, no forty. Like I, I don't like bargaining. You don't want to do retail. I don't want to do any sort of 
I say a number and you you counter with a different number. Like even like I get a job and like you talk about money. It's like I just pay me. I feel like that's so weird because I feel like you're so involved in like you know uh, you know fantasy sports and like. But that's different because that's very. It's like the winner gets the money. I don't mind. I like gambling, but that's not. There's no negotiation in gambling, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's it's set beforehand. The rules are set. You know, if you win, I give you the money. It's in my account. Yeah, that's different to me. Okay. But the, the negotiating is, I, I don't know, it always like, I always feel skee- like a skeevy doing that. All right. Jerry says that the meeting of Morty and Kramer is like the meeting of Smith and Wesson. Uh, yeah. There's a few weird references. Uh, that I get, but there's a few weird references in this yeah. episode. They're pretty dated. Uh, I mean, this is probably dated for 1994. Uh, yeah, definitely. It wasn't. It didn't get a big laugh then. Okay. So then George is talking with Alec, the big brother guy, not uh, the guy from Big Brother Canada. And so he's leaving for Paris in three days. It just came up. Yeah. What horrible luck for George here, because he goes to such length to tell this elaborate lie. And presumably, George is going to have to hide out in his apartment for the next bunch of weeks right. to avoid Alec. To see this guy that they never see again. Yes. And uh, and terrible luck, because Joey, uh, his dad, happens to live in Paris. <laughs> Alec, when he's quizzing George, he asks George, where is he going to stay? George says, oh, uh, the Eiffel Towers, <laughs> which I like. That's like <laughs> the name of some like uh, hotel there. But so he has to go then take this uh, young boy back to Paris because that's where his dad lives. He's been afraid to get on the plane, but now... He seems to have taken a liking to George. I don't really understand how he could have so quickly. But finally, they have somebody to take this brat to Paris. I mean, George can't say no here. He can't say like, uh, sorry, I, uh, I'm i going with someone or uh, there's no there's no tickets left. My flight is sold out. I already bought the seat. There's so many ways out of this. It's almost like I feel like that this should have been like a bluff from the guy. Like it's to see like he probably should have known that George was BSing and then just to see how far George would take this. Yeah, it would have been funnier as a bluff. I agree. Yeah. So it seems kind of crazy that they're just going to, you know, that they know what flight George is on. They're going to book the kid on the same flight and everything, but maybe we just don't see those details. They happen off screen. No, no such thing. (laughs) It either happens or it's not canon. It's not canon. Okay. So back in Elaine's apartment, she's talking with Aaron and Aaron's just going on and on about how Morty really loved the museum he says that old guy was full of life and it's funny there's also like a funny dichotomy here because they're in bed right right and like elaine is you know like in a nightgown or something yeah and he's just like ignoring her and talking about how like you know morty thought that the monet needed glasses right yeah and really elaine presents aaron as such a catch in this episode yeah the thing with aaron is that in every single scene elaine should be breaking up with him (laughs) right she's broken up with so many people for so much less than this so much less i mean this guy's got what he already is a close talker is he really rich like what's i mean he's taking off in the middle of the day to go to go with the seinfelds and i don't think that's a weekend like what is it about him that's a catch hmm maybe that is what it is maybe he is like because he talks about at the end like i could have sold this watch i could have it's maybe it's like a really expensive watch and stuff and that's how he knows people at the met it's possible yeah maybe he's like one of their big donors that's why he got them in so fast and people are just like sort of afraid to like tell him that he's a close talker because he's such a oh that could be it yeah people rich people never get told anything (laughs) (laughs) this is making a lot of sense now okay yeah we solved the whole episode all right (laughs) i like also at the end of this where elaine is asking him in this conversation like but wasn't that weird that you were hanging out with them and he's like no i had fun they bought me a Coke. Bought me a Coke. 50 cents in 1994. Probably. Again, I think speaking to that he was from this Big Brother program that nobody really like uh, took a shining to him. 
here are these old people. They bought him a soda, made him feel like a kid. But if he was rich, shouldn't he be buying them stuff? But the fact that nobody's ever bought him a Coke before. He had to make his own bones in the world. Oh, you think he's a self-made kid? Or do you think yeah. that his dad was so rich that like he had no time for him and he was never home? And that's why he, you know, that's why like uh, Aaron needs a big brother because, mm. you know, because he he never had a father figure because his parents were always in Paris, you know, on vacation. They were because they were so wealthy and they had like a se- second home there. Mm, could be either thing. I'm trying to think what would speak more to it. I wonder if you were that person, would you resent the old people like uh, like screw you, Mr. Seinfeld? Yeah, it's possible. But maybe he's just looking for love. <laughs> So we go back to Jerry's apartment and uh, we see that really Morty and Helen are set up for this whole sleepover, like the couches folded out. And so uh, we see Kramer come in asking about the beltless trench coat. How did he come up with it, Akiva? It's a crazy story. Yeah, it kind of is. He trips. He comes home. He trips over Jerry's toy. He takes the belt out of the coat just to threaten him, he adds. Right. And then he got a glimpse of himself in the mirror and realized how good he looked. And it's like, ooh. Got to sell these. Yeah, I like Kramer's line. He says, oh, how serendipitous. But what do you think of Morty with uh, that? He was like sort of feigning that he was going to beat Jerry with the belt to his raincoat. I mean, it was the 70s when he was doing this. So I feel like back then, what, what, what was the stuff about child abuse in the 70s? It was OK, right? <laughs> I guess so. Like you could you could hit a kid in the 70s. You, I think. you could certainly get away with it. Especially this belt is not. It's not like an Adrian Peterson belt. This well, is like a floppy. For the record, I think Adrian Peterson had a switch, which is a stick. Oh um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, I think apologies, it's, to Adrian, apologies to Adrian Peterson. Don't want to don't want to defame him. Yeah, I do think that the the raincoat belt I think is a li- is a bit flimsy. It's not really like a leather. Yeah, it's not like if you took off your real belt, that's much harder than the raincoat. I mean, belt. I'm sure it would definitely sting. You could probably uh, like uh, really like uh, I mean, you could take a ribbon and like whip somebody with it hard enough. Sure, it's like the towel thing when you're like a kid and you whip someone with a towel. Right. But it's not it, it'll sting. It won't it won't hurt long term. Right. Especially if they get you like on your face. Social services is still coming if you do it nowadays <laughs> though. Don't do it. Yeah. They'll come if you threaten to do it, I think. Oh, really? I th- I mean, if they, they, they get a report. Yeah, you can't. You definitely can't get away with hitting the kids anymore. That's for sure. <laughs> no. Kids have all the power anyway yeah. at this point. <laughs> and so then we ended up with that. Jerry mentions that, oh, he also came up with the idea for the brimless rain hat. I couldn't tell if that was a joke or not. I think it might have been a joke. Might have been a joke. Okay. So then uh, we find out, okay, so Jack Klompus was supposed to do that, that Morty can't get a hold of him. So he finally reaches out to uh, Jack Klompus. And while Morty is going to dial in Jack Klompus, again, we see Helen saying, did you see Schindler's List yet? You have to go see Schindler's List. Yeah, I mean, it was such a big movie then. Yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, it's by the way, a fun fact about Schindler's List. Oh boy! Um, you know they at the, no at the end they ask him if it's black and white. Yeah. But did you know that Schindler's List is actually listed as a color movie because uh, there's one girl they yeah. show in the, red, the famous red raincoat. Yes. And because it's not 100 percent black and white, uh, it's it's not considered a black and white film. Where is it listed? Is it IMDb? Like in the like back in the day, like Blockbuster would have like a separate separate section for black and white or in like the or yeah, I guess anywhere where things are listed. I don't know where things are back then, you know, like the Library of Congress. I don't know. Don't question my fun facts. Rob. I just remember hearing this, that the girl in the red raincoat, man, it's not a black and white movie. Wow. See, you were very nervous about my fun fact, but that was about as harmless as it gets. Well, 
in fairness, I think that maybe uh, Spielberg like dodged a bullet there. Does he want that listed with the black and white movies? Right, because people. Well, I like, still did think anybody like, walk into Blockbuster in 1995? Like, uh, excuse me, can I go to the black and white section? <laughs> people probably did. That's why they had a section. But right, it probably wasn't a popular section. <laughs> Yeah. Do they sell the black and white cookie in the black and white section? Well, yeah, when she says black and white and Jerry clearly hasn't seen a minute of the movie and <laughs> you should have thought she was talking about the cookie. He, should, he probably like they don't sell black and white cookies. They, they have popcorn. Like, the bakery's closed, mom. I went to the movies. <laughs> it's also like an awkward Schindler's List. That is an awkward like when you bring like Twizzlers in the Schindler's List. It's very it must have been a very uh, bizarre movie to see in the theaters with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so. I think, you know, in terms of like uh, what you're bringing and stuff like that. Sure. But that being said, so we finally get a hold of Jack Klompas and they call like very late at night. I think that Jack Klompas answers the phone. Who died? Yeah. The the thing with Florida, I've been down with the old people a lot is like most of the people are stereotypically, um, you know, like they, they wake up really early and they go to sleep early. But then you'll meet the old people who like wake up insanely late and go to sleep insanely late. So maybe Morty and Ellen are in that category. Possible. So then uh, he wants him to go get the boxes. And it seems like Jack Klompas is like intimately familiar with Morty's garage. Yeah, like the weird thing, like we left off like Klompas and him were in a big fight in the pen, right? (laughs) Well, that was years ago. I guess. Yeah, you're right. It was over three years ago at this point. But it is like, is that his only friend? Like Klompas, who hates him, is the only guy who he can ask this favor of? (laughs) I guess so. There's no Mandelbaums around? (laughs) Not yet. So he tells him about these raincoats that are in the boxes. And then uh, Jack Klompas says, uh, raincoats, you're not going to sell those crappy old raincoats. That's garbage. Yeah, I mean, Klompas, you know, he should have listened to Klompas here. Yeah. Aren't you surprised Klompas doesn't want a piece of the action here? Yeah, I think it's weird that Klompas doesn't ask for 10%. Right. So I feel like that that should have been a plot point also of like, okay, Kramer's getting 15% and then Klompas is getting, uh, you know, another, he wants 15%. Like he's holding the raincoats hostage. Right. Like, and then maybe Rudy, like he can't sell them because he doesn't want the moths, but he'll sell them to like a competitor for his cut, like 30%. <laughs> and then Morty ends up like losing money on the raincoats. Yeah. A whole subplot about, uh, the, you know, the <laughs> diminishing returns of the raincoats. You know, sometimes our suggestions are ridiculous, but we've made this episode 10 times better already. (laughs) Okay, so we end up seeing George with the Costanzas. And again, the Costanzas are very upset. Are they coming tonight? They can't they can't believe that the Seinfelds aren't there. Yeah, they got maybe. Yeah, this is a nice breakfast, actually, that the Costanzas are having with George. What's she making? It uh, looks like it is. Looks like some eggs, some fruit, orange juice. I mean, you got three people with no jobs, so I feel like a good breakfast is. Uh, you know, they got nothing else to do, so make a big breakfast. <laughs> yeah, and they better come because she made all that paella. Now, but now she's inviting them over for leftovers. At this point, that's a little weird. Yeah, the leftover paella. And so Estella's talking about how it's so nice that they take a trip, and George says, "Yes, you should take a trip." And so maybe they're going to talk about taking a trip at some point in the future and George is pushing them to that and uh, we will get there by the end of the episode. So Estelle says that she heard something last night. She heard George up in the attic because he was getting the clothes that he wants to sell. Yeah, George denies it. He denies it and uh, he says maybe it was a mouse and uh, this is one of the other subplots I love in this episode. The Frank Costanza fear of the mouse. Yeah, who knew Frank would be so afraid of a little rodent? Yeah, because George says, uh, maybe it was a mouse. And he just like slams the table down like, uh, okay, that's it. We're moving. 
50 years in this house. Goodbye. And he says, uh, I will not tolerate infestation. And it's such a great line that, uh, you know, uh, Estelle just says to him, all right, Frank, that's enough. <laughs> and I actually come to answer. He says, uh, don't you understand the very thought of the idea? I'll never be comfortable again. Says, it is true. If you see one mouse, that's it. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, all right, Frank, that's enough. <laughs> very dismissive of uh, Frank's histrionics. Yeah, it's usually great. she ignores him. Yeah. Okay, so we now see Rudy at the uh, boutique with this guy. Uh, the guy who plays Rudy, he's like one of those guys. He's in everything. Yeah, what, what do you remember him most from? I think that he was one of the characters on the failed Louis C.K. HBO uh, series. I believe that he was one of the like regular characters on that. Like One of the few times that he was actually on a series. Lucky Louis? Yeah, Lucky Louis. He was like one of like the... Um, you know the five or six different principles on that show yeah i don't remember i saw an episode or two of that show but you're right he was on that i don't remember him yeah michael haggerty i mean you look at his like uh thing he's just been you know in everything but you know what he's most famous from Hmm. he's the ugly naked guy on friends is that what he is (laughs) yeah (laughs) i remember him also from uh martin i feel like the martin lawrence sitcom uh I, he was in Star Trek Next Generation. I feel like I remember him uh, from that. Uh, he's just in everything, this guy. Uh, yeah, he his IMDb page is long here. Yeah. So uh, he's just had a long career of being sort of that, that guy. He's like a memorable like guest star. Not really a lot to do here in Seinfeld, though. No, no, no. Not such a meaty role. He does a decent job with it. Yeah. All right. So George wants to sell the cabana clothes. I like that. They're very clearly marked cabana clothes. Does Frank Costanza spend a lot of time in the cabana? Well, no, that's why the clothes have been in the attic getting, you know, eaten by moths for 20 years. Okay, but this is a pretty good haul because Rudy is offering George $200 for all of the cabana clothes. And with inflation, what's that, like 280 Yeah, and I think also, like, he should have lowballed him. He could have, George would have said yes to 30 here. <laughs> right. George says 225 was his high game in bowling. That would really mean a lot to me. <laughs> that's not a bad that's not a bad line yeah he should have been uh what what other like uh sport thing could you have done to raise the price a little bit um hmm. he's a he's a 1000 percent free throw shooter yeah 227 was his favorite sitcom well now you just got it to up two dollars that's not great <laughs> okay so you want to go much higher yeah you want to go much higher here rob hmm. you can't like uh he's a terrible golfer he wants golf to 450 <laughs> Right. You could say like, oh, like uh, he was, uh, you know, in uh, single A baseball. He hit 270 his best year. What about he was born in 1930? So you want to get $1,930? Oh, well, you got to start there. <laughs> You're going to sell two boxes of <laughs> cabana clothes for almost $2,000? All right. Probably not. <laughs> he was born in 1500. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, you're out of the ballpark you know rudy's gonna laugh you out of the store yeah so you got to get high triple digits i think that's what you're going for. <laughs> all right so kramer comes in amazingly kramer you would expect him to sort what of about like, he's a satan worshiper can i have 666 dollars <laughs> i don't think you'd want clothes from the satan worshiper probably yeah want that's it. probably true that's probably true he flies he's a pilot he flew a 747 <laughs> <laughs> no how about how about 230 okay so anyway, so Kramer comes in and somehow he does not blow the whole thing. And he mentions that he had dinner with the Seinfelds and George is, aha, he knew something was going on. 
the jig is up. Yeah, a rare sitcom thing where like the person is in on the joke and they don't snitch on you right away. Especially when it's Kramer. Yeah, yeah like what do you mean? Your father's dead? Yeah, because it would ruin the whole second part of this episode if Kramer would blow it here. So then we still have 30 more minutes of the rain. That would have have saved us 20 scenes that we have. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, then we end up seeing Kramer with Rudy and talking about the executive, the raincoat. And so he has 50 more about uh, the raincoats. And so he's going to sell them to Rudy. Rudy asks him, what would possibly stop me from buying those raincoats? Yeah, this is a deal of the century. (laughs) What's he selling these raincoats for? I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. What do you think he's getting a raincoat? I mean, he's so excited about it. You have to think he's trying for a hundred bucks a raincoat. I know, because also in this scene, we see that Kramer buys uh, that a shirt and pair of shorts, I guess, from the cabana clothes for $25. So if he's getting, you know, a shirt and shorts from the cabana clothes for $25, raincoat's got to be a hundred. Yeah, he's getting like, this might be a fancy part of Manhattan because he's getting serious prices here. (laughs) Okay, so George comes into Jerry's house and uh, he's like, aha. And uh, so he's trying to bust Jerry for it. But Jerry's like, look, I don't know what they do. Yeah, this is like a my dad could beat up your dad situation. Yeah. But this is so weird because uh, that, you know, George is trying to expose that Morty and Helen had dinner with Kramer. And Jerry's like, look, look, I don't even know what they're doing. So they're going back and forth about, uh, you know, whose parents like who. Yeah, it's first of all, if Jerry really cared, he would have just asked Morty and Helen to you know, have dinner with them. Like if you realize like, yeah, you got to do this for the stanzas to get George off my back, but clearly he doesn't care. <laughs> yeah. So then George ends up asking Jerry if he thought that the parents, if uh, Morty and Helen would mind taking a kid to Paris with them. Yeah. Such a great idea. There's it's foolproof. <laughs> yeah. And so then Jerry says, uh, you know, Oh, I guess cause they're mailing postcards. They wouldn't mind uh, taking a kid with them to Paris. And George says, well, they don't have to mail the postcards. Yeah, and also they don't have to, um, right, the postcards would be out the window then. They don't have to, like, bring him around Paris. They just have to, like, literally, like, is is this dad such a deadbeat he can't even show up to the airport? Yeah, if he has to just show up at the airport, not a big deal. So can you just, like, put him on the, the plane as an unaccompanied minor? I don't know. I guess the kid's not He's willing. scared. He's scared. Yeah. So, yeah, he just needs people to, like, literally say, how are you doing on the plane? So this is actually not asking too much of him. So then we see Elaine at work and Elaine is like telling her friend about how great Aaron is. Like she's leaving out the close talker thing, certainly leaving out all of the stuff about how he loves old people. And they're going to go see my fair lady. Yeah, it's funny because he comes in. He's like starts making out with her in the office. Yeah. And then lo and behold, right behind him are the are the Seinfelds. Yeah. Here are the Seinfelds because they're going on the date, too. He got two more tickets for them. So they're coming with Elaine to go to see my fair lady. How much would you need to get paid? To see my my fair lady with with, with the Seinfeld, yeah, with the Seinfeld, uh, probably a lot. I would imagine. I like when Morty comes into Elaine's office. And he's like, "Hey, what's the square footage in this place?" Yeah, that's such a great dad <laughs> question. He said, uh, "Harry Fleming used to have an office here. What happened to that deli?" She's like, "I I, I don't know, Mr. Seinfeld." <laughs> And so we get a little bit of a montage of My Fair Lady. We see like Morty eating candy and trying to offer it to Elaine. We see them going to dinner. And uh, the seating at dinner is pretty crazy. You have where Elaine is sitting in between Morty and Helen at the table. Again, it's always that weird Seinfeld seating where four people are around at one half of a circle table. Yeah, they really do. You know, the the core four here really don't uh, have never figured out, you know, who, who to sit where. Yeah. And so then Aaron, it's like all the way at the end and Elaine is sitting in between the Seinfelds. But then there's one final shot of this montage where George is like getting in a taxi in Central Park 
and then sees the foursome of Aaron and Elaine plus Morty and Helen like on the uh, handsome cab ride going through with the, on the horse. Is this canon, Akiva? Is that Rusty, the handsome cab horse? I think there's only one. It's got to be Rusty. <laughs> I think in the Seinfeld universe, I think that, that is the first sighting of the horse. I don't think he's eating any beefarino. No, there's no beefarino here, but uh, I, you know, I feel like this is an Easter egg for Rusty. I mean, it seems like very suspicious for George to be in the park by himself, like taking a taxi there. It is very suspicious, and 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 like he's too cheap to do this. Okay. Anyway, so then uh, Jerry is back at his apartment with Rachel. And so they're trying to uh, resist their urges. It's only going to be two more days. What do you think of Rachel's uh, pants? Did you notice them in the episode? I didn't. Tell me about them. Uh, Rachel is kind of wearing the mom jeans. Uh, she's got like the very high rise jeans in this episode. Yeah, I didn't notice them, but I, I feel like they were the mom jeans were more popular. They didn't call them that, but they were more popular. You know, people didn't wear so tight jeans it's not so much that the tightness it's the height of the jeans it seems almost like the old man pants (laughs) yeah it seems like the jeans come up like almost like uh above the navel yeah a a lady should never be wearing pants above the navel (laughs) nor should a man but i feel like that's the old man look yeah check that out on the rewatch uh right i feel like in every scene she's wearing the jeans like this it's the same pair of pants i think so okay so Morty and Helen walk in. They say, oh, no, 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 we'll leave. We'll just go ride the bus. <laughs> okay. So then that they're almost like surprised of like where they were, right? Like uh, Jerry has no idea where Morty and Helen went. Yeah, he has no, he's certainly not in charge of the itinerary here because he never goes out with them. He has no idea what their plan is. Yeah. And so after they come back, then uh, they say, okay, you should go see uh, Schindler's List. So they're going to go out to the movies. Yeah, it's a good idea. Okay. It's a great date movie. What time of day is this? I, I don't know. I don't know, like, if it's we- the whole episode. I don't know when it's a weekend or a weekday. Why don't we assume it was a Wednesday matinee they went to go see? I mean, because they, they went to dinner. They, were, they went on a handsome cab ride. I mean, does Rach- is Rachel unemployed? We don't know anything about her other than she, lives, she lives with her parents. parents. I don't know. Uh, and so what is this, like the 1030 showing of Schindler's List? Do they even show movies that early? <laughs> and the, the Schindler's List, the problem with the long movies is that they only show it like a few times a day, you know? I mean, Schindler's List was long. Like that was one of those, like it was on two VHS, I believe. Yeah, it was a double VHS. Ooh, that'll that'll really make us sound old to the uh, millennials out there. I think it's I think it was three and a half hours Schindler's List. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think Titanic was probably the last double VHS that they had. You think so? I think so. I think that was like the one that got in right under the wire. Right. I, Lord of the Rings might have been, but uh, one, like one of them. Did, did it get to VHS? No, I don't think it got to VHS. Yeah. So then, <laughs> yeah, I mean. I get, the world get, was robbed, really. Yeah. I mean, and that was a packed showing for the late night uh, Schindler's List. It was such a popular movie. I guess so. But I mean, that late at night. Did it really make like I know it won the best picture. Was it did it really like make that much money or it was? Oh, I'm sure it did because I think that people like everybody had to go see it. Schindler's List box office. It had to have done over 100 million. You think so? Let me see. And inflate it. You got to inflate that gross. You got to inflate, inflate that. Okay. (laughs) Schindler's List. Well, what's your guess on the uh, Schindler's List? The box I'm going to say it made like 120 million dollars. You know, just under domestic worldwide 96 million. That's a little low for me. Didn't even make a hundred. Yeah, it only cost twenty-two million to make. I guess that it's the color that really makes it expensive. Yeah, Ray Fiennes wasn't commanding the big the big paycheck back then. Yeah, uh, actually, so ninety-six million domestic actually, but a two twenty-five foreign. So it really did better. Uh, did better overseas. 
Yeah, plus, I mean, Liam Neeson now, you'd have to give him like $25 million to show up. So that's that's more than the whole budget. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, so a lot of money then I made by Schindler's List. So, yeah, not 100 uh, in the U.S., but it did certainly make uh, make a lot of money overseas. Three hours, mm-hmm. 14 minutes on the runtime for Schindler's List. And just to put this in perspective, so the movie was released December 15th, 1993. This episode is airing in April 94. So pretty topical. Yeah, very topical. Um, but it, if if it's really in the theater still in April, or if, you know, if if it's if the show is happening when the show is airing, or or when it's written in March, then it's basically like it should be basically out of the theater. So to have a, a full showing is pretty impressive. Well, Akiva, what we didn't, what I didn't mention was that it was in limited release on December. 15th, oh, oh, you got to squeeze that Oscar buzz out of there. But then went into wide release on February fourth. Oh, that's very late for the wide release. Yes. But uh, consider this. Uh, the opening weekend gross was uh, only $4 million, $4.6 million, And it was only number six at the box office. So, so it was but, a word of mouth thing. Yeah, word of mouth thing. There's a lot of people guilting each other into going to see the movie. <laughs> uh, well, I think that that's also, you know, but, you know, like how I saw it. Of Like teacher says, okay, everybody has to go see it for extra credit. I'm sure, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people you know, uh, you know, family members. So like, like just like within this episode where, you know, Helen is like, Jerry, did you go see Schindler's list yet? It's also like, it's not, you know, obviously it's probably the worst kids movie of all time. (laughs) Right. Um, and, and there's nudity in it, right? There's like a sex scene. So, (laughs) you know, I I don't have a vivid recollection of it. (laughs) That's good. That's good. But I feel like, so it was like a very awkward movie as a kid. I feel like, Hey, it's a hard R. Yeah. It's a hard R, you know, like, but you like, you know, it's not a movie you want to see with your parents also. Yeah, that was the thing with it, where it was like, it's rated R, but there was like a lot of kids going to see it. I wasn't 17 when I went to go see Schindler's List. And they would like show it. This was like, you know, I, I think they got it. It used to be like movies would go to DVD and then they go to like pay-per-view and then like they go to like HBO. And then they go to basic cable and then to like a network. But this like got bought, I think, right away by NBC or one of the networks. Because if you remember, you know, they'd show it uh, on some random night on NBC. Oh, wow. Because they had commercials and stuff. It was like, you know, it was like five hours to show it. Well, not like two nights? No. Well, remember the Ten Commandments was like that also. They used to show it every year, like Passover time. Yeah. And it was like, you know, you got to like budget like four and a half hours for it. Okay. No, it wasn't two nights because then you're like turning into a miniseries. That's like... You're just trying to squeeze money out of it. All right. Now, there was a lot of talk in the inside look about why Schindler's List and uh, Steven Spielberg's association with Seinfeld. Yeah. So what'd they say? Basically, they said that Steven Spielberg was like so depressed during making Schindler's List that he used to watch a lot of Seinfeld. So it was like sort of like a like a tip of the cap to Steven Spielberg that they made Schindler's List a plot point. I'm not sure if Steven Spielberg appreciated this, but that's why they said they did it. Yeah, I don't see. I don't know if he has a sense of humor, Steven Spielberg. Hmm. Like I've seen that, that he liked watching Seinfeld to like calm him down when he was making the movie. I mean, it had to be an insane movie to be making, but sure. I think like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if he has a sense of humor for this stuff. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if there was a lot of controversy about this at the time that it happened. I don't think there was, but there might've been, I don't know. Then Jerry is going to go off to go and uh, go see Schindler's List with Rachel. Another note from the night, though, the big night out with Aaron, they saw Regis Philbin getting out of limo. He doesn't look as good in person. Regis looks great in person. What are you talking about? Yeah. (laughs) All right. So uh, there's also a call with uh, Jack Klompas. Jack Klompas calls in and he wants to know, well, when are you coming back to Florida? Because he still has that pen. Yeah, I like the call back here. 
Yeah. So they are still fighting over the raincoats. And so the raincoats are going to be getting in. There's a real ticking clock in this episode. The flight is leaving Thursday afternoon. The raincoats are coming in Thursday morning. Jack Klompus still can't get in the garage. Yeah. And uh, Jerry gets thrown under the bus here. <laughs> Morty's like, you can't do that. My idiot son could do it. I, I was speaking to my friend recently. Yes. And he's like, uh, yeah, I, uh, I saw your dad. And this, he says to me, he saw my dad, Rabbi Wienicker, and he said, the, he's like, yeah. And he said, uh, oh, I was just speaking to your idiot friend. And we were trying to figure out if he was referring to me, like, am I the idiot friend? Or, or is it like a, thir- a third friend of ours that he was just speaking to? Hmm. But I think, I think I got the Jerry Seinfeld treatment here. I'm pretty sure <laughs> I was the idiot friend. <laughs> so George is back at his house. He is narking to his parents on what he saw the Seinfelds doing. Uh, George is really, you know, a defender of the Costanzas here. This is like the, you know, the closest re- their relationship's ever been. I know. And so he's saying that really the thing that bothers him is the lying. He's very upset about the lying. We know George hates lying. He hates lying. So Frank, he can't find his vacation clothes because now they're going to go on this vacation, uh, this cruise, and he can't find them. There's a really funny moment where he looks down and says uh, he sees a mouse and screams and locks himself in like this little like uh, foyer over there. Yeah, it's never the people you think who are afraid of the ma- the mice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he runs away. And then we end up seeing an aside where, uh, you know, he can't find his clothes. And then uh, we see Rudy, the owner of the clothes store. Oh, his name is Rudy? I believe so. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming he's Rudy. Yeah, I think he's probably Rudy. We're assuming he's Rudy. And he's burning the clothes with gasoline. Well, yeah, which we don't understand, but it's it's because of the moths. It's not it's not because he hates the clothes so much. He says lousy moth ridden crap. Yeah, he is listed as Rudy, so he's Rudy. All right, so that's the end of part one, I believe. We think we're not sure. <laughs> we think because then we come back and Jerry is doing a stand up about used clothes. And he talks about uh, used underwear and talks about how men will wear underwear until it falls apart. Akiva, is this true? Um, no, I'm not like pretty strict with like just throw out your underwear. I feel like it's so cheap. Why? But I do, I do think that's a stereotype that like men's underwear just like they'll wear it, you know, for decades. Yeah, I, I mean it's a hard in general. Like you don't know like when do you throw out clothing? It's 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 you know there there should really be hard and fast rules about it. Yeah, and they become rags eventually. Yeah, <laughs> I do think it became a stereotype because it's true. I think. Uh, yeah, not all stereotypes are true. <laughs> not all of them, but some of them are. Yeah, no, I feel like yeah, I do think that um. Yeah, we just like we use clothes, but then also like your clothes get knocked down a level. Like mm-hmm. this might be your nice going out shirt and then it gets like a stain. It's like, OK, I'll just like this is my like doing the dishes shirt or this is my, you know, right. like inside the house, like uh, painting, you know. So you could you could get knocked down from like a starter to a relief pitcher, but still not get you know thrown in the trash. OK, so we have our first scene in this part where we're at Schindler's List. And the movie is playing and there's just Jerry and Rachel making out crowded movie theater pan up to Newman. Oh, Newman. Jerry's at the point he should be like, yeah, he should be looking like for Newman wherever he is. Like is Newman here? And why is Newman at Schindler's List in the back row by himself? <laughs> I don't know. He's very moved by it. I'm sure. And so Newman, I thought from the way that it looks, it seems like he's more interested in what Jerry's doing. I mean, it's got to be distracting, right? Like it seems like Jerry did not see a minute of the movie. He doesn't remember anything from the plot. I mean, it's a long movie. I mean, three hours and 15 minutes of heavy petting in the movie theater. Yeah, at a certain point, why didn't they leave? <laughs> I, I just, I, I find it hard to believe that in three hours and 15 minutes, like things did not escalate. I mean, how much can you escalate in a theater? Uh, I don't, I mean, but I feel like there's a certain limit of where, 
of where this can go. They didn't look at the screen once. It wasn't like they stopped making out and started watching the movie at some point. Yeah, I mean, someone had to like, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, guys. Yeah, something's got to give. Uh, we're watching Schindler's List here. There's no <laughs> way nobody said anything for three hours. And <laughs> Unless they're like, oh my gosh, these guys must be sociopaths doing this. Like, I don't even <laughs> want to mess with them. Okay, so they come back and Helen wants to know how was the movie. He says it was really good. It went by uh, so quickly. And so uh, they're asking him about all that stuff. How uh, him uh, like, uh, what do you think about the black and white? Jerry seems confused. Is there any possible way Jerry doesn't know Schindler's List is in black and white? I'm right. You have to know even before you get to like, that's what I'm sure the reviews said it. And it's like a clear part of the movie. Like, I feel like if there's anything you know about Schindler's List, that it's black and white. Well, it's probably number one is probably that it's about the Holocaust. The plot. Right. <laughs> yeah. Although, and then number two has got to be that it's black and white. Right. Um, yeah, I'd say number two, black and white. Okay. I, I, like, but he was just his mind wasn't on it. He didn't understand what she was talking about. He was thinking of cookies. So we're back at Rudy's, and uh, so there's a little bit of uh, the continuing negotiation with Rudy. Kramer says, "Okay, Jack Klompus has the key," and uh, he's talking about this, and the guy's like, Look, "I don't care." <laughs> George is trying to buy back some of the clothes. Uh, yeah, which probably is an ideal situation for the used, the, like, it's not like one of those, uh, porn star things where they like hold your, hold your used clothes for you. Yeah. But how about the guy just takes all the money back? He says that there were moths in the clothes. Yeah. I feel like it's fair. Like he gave him, he gave him bad merchandise, but the way he did it is so shady that, you know, George should be more upset about it. <laughs> he just took the money back. Also, George puts a little seed in Kramer's head that Morty Seinfeld is ripping him off. Yeah, I mean, I, I do like this, that like George is, you know, he's getting back at the Seinfelds. He's anti-Seinfeld right Getting now. back at them. Meanwhile, Morty and Helen are talking and Morty comes to the realization that, you know, he's, they're his raincoats, that basically it was just, should be a finder's fee. Kramer's ripping him off. Yeah, I do like the negotiations here. Yeah. He should only get 10%. It's a finder's fee. Kramer comes in and they sort of like go like, I should get 50, you should get 10 35 and they finally just come back down to 25 percent yeah they re-compromise on the same deal it's a good scene so we go to monks jerry and elaine are talking and really elaine just can't find what's going on here with aaron that he's hanging out with jerry's parents yeah it doesn't make any sense she's right to be upset jerry says it's a tad skew it is it is a skew and it's not vince's skew the former fullback of the jets yeah and it's not a scoot either. So then uh, they're talking about uh, that Jerry's hardly even seen his parents when he's been there. That the Aaron's hanging out with them so much. Uh, yeah, that's a good thing. So basically, Jerry and Elaine get a little like sex in the city here of like uh, Tawdry talking about like, how was the movie? It's like, well, from what I saw of it, it was good. And he basically is telling Elaine how he was making out during Schindler's List. Yeah, she must be so proud. <laughs> yeah. He couldn't help it. It got the better of him. I mean, we understand he's frustrated, but there was many ways for him to, you know, like we said, get a hotel. Right. He had a lot of he had a lot of outs here. Now, he notices that he saw Newman leaving the movie theater. Should Jerry know what's coming next? Yeah, he should. So, he, he should definitely know what's coming next. So Newman is up at Jerry's apartment and uh, he ends up uh, knocking at the door and tells on Jerry. Classic Newman. <laughs> yes. He says, uh, oh, I didn't see you at Schindler's List with Jerry. And uh, he mentions that they were going at it pretty good in the balcony. Now, Akiva, from what you could make out, no pun intended, was Jerry in any sort of balcony? No, I don't know what balcony. I don't know what balcony's talking about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like they're just at the movie theater. If anyone's in a balcony, it's Newman in the back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so uh, she's like, what do you mean? 
He says that uh, he was moving on her like stormtroopers into Poland. Yeah, I like that Helen says he was necking. Yes. Which I guess was a thing back then. Like, that's how what they called making out in the 50s. Yeah. Newman says, a more offensive spectacle I cannot recall. <laughs> and uh, he says he's looking for detergent. And uh, Jerry, obviously, uh, he sends his laundry out. Helen says, is that true? I guess so. We saw him with uh, Golden Boy and stuff like that. Yeah, he used to do it. But at this point, he's sending it out. Okay. All right. So we end up with Jerry coming home and his parents want to know, were you making out during Schindler's List? Don't lie. Oh, boy. Yeah. Newman. He knows immediately that was Newman. He says uh, he couldn't help it. They started during the coming attractions. And before he knew it, the war was over. Oh, boy. (laughs) But there's really, I mean, from Jerry's parents, I mean, there's really no fallout after this what are they gonna i mean he's a grown man what are they gonna do i mean rachel gets punished she gets grounded yeah she lives at home jerry is sending his parents to paris on his own time i mean helen does not really carry on too much about this listen what is she like who raised you jerry has the the, the all the power in this relationship whereas rachel who lives at home has no power he has hand he has all the hand yes so the phone rings it's jack Klompis. now again what now what time of night is it? i mean we said it was the 10 o'clock schindler's list yeah, this is this may be the morning. I don't know what time it is. So it's Jack Columbus. Uh The key doesn't work. He had to break the window with a rock. And he cut up his hand. Cut up his hand. And so he ended up like saving money and uh, getting the slow shipping. Yeah. Classic Columbus. <laughs> and so Morty like cancels the whole trip. He says, we'll go somewhere else. Fashion is cyclical. We have to strike while the iron is hot. Why did the raincoats like... There was no like drop dead date from Rudy where he's like, yeah, I'm only buying stuff until Friday. So if you got anything, Kramer, it's got to be here by Friday. Well, he's worried the coats will be out of out of style by the time he gets back from Paris. Out of season, maybe. Maybe. It was April, you know. That's true. Yeah, it'll be summer. He, he's kind of right here. Listen, are you questioning Morty Seinfeld's raincoat knowledge? That was his <laughs> that was his life's work. I mean, do you wear a raincoat in the summer? No. No? I mean, not, not, you're not. What if it's raining? That's a lot of rain in the summer. You want to get your suit wet? You might wear it, but you're not buying it in the summer. Mm. You're buying it in the winter. Okay. So, Frank Costanza, he's still looking for the clothes. He doesn't know how they could disappear. Uh, they, George cites, uh, maybe it was moths. Yeah, George seems to know a lot about moths. <laughs> says moths ate three boxes of clothes? It's possible. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> then uh, Stella's like, we're better off. We don't need those Seinfelds. Here comes Kramer. He, he pops in. Cabana boy himself. Yeah. And so they take Kramer's coat and Frank sees that he is wearing the cabana shirt. Couldn't Kramer just say, oh, this is, uh, this is, you know, it's not yours. It's just the same. People can't have the same shirt. No, not that shirt. Frank says, uh, that's my cabana shirt. You stole my shirt, you son of a bitch. I guess they probably like if he's wearing the shorts also, you probably couldn't have the same full outfit. So that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and so... Uh, then George, he snaps and he says uh, that Rudy was a skunk. He didn't burn the clothes like he said. I guess he got his money. And then uh, Frank instantly keys on that. That should have been like one of those TV lines where he shouldn't have heard that. No, he shouldn't have heard it. You're right. <laughs> we we do like the didn't hear it things. Where they, so you're right. And so then uh, starts yelling at George for selling his clothes. I mean, he's right to be upset. It wasn't George's to profit off of. Now, Akiva, we have a little bit of the seed of the Estelle and Kramer uh, flirtation because uh, she starts to say like, oh, you look just like Frank on our honeymoon. Yeah. First of all. Aaron loves old women, but old women love Kramer. Yeah, they do. The Kavorka, I think, is uh, very uh, powerful with the older women. Yeah, it goes up in proportion to the person's age. 
This scene ends with Kramer saying that he sees a mouse and then Kramer and Frank uh, go and run and like lock themselves in like the vestibule. So it must really be a mouse. I don't think so. I think it's still a fake mouse. Yeah, but why does Kramer see a mouse? He doesn't know that there's a mouse running around. Well, the first time they said it was a remote on the floor. I mean, George doesn't act as though there's a mouse. I mean, you going to somebody else's house and saying you see a mouse. I feel like that's a big step. It's just a sloppy sort of thing where I think that I, I don't think it's supposed to be a real mouse. Okay. Because there was no mention of a real mouse. No. So then we go back to Monks. And so Jerry is talking with George. George wants the parents' tickets to Paris. Yeah, and we don't really see the whole, like, how this works out. Yeah. Like, who pays for the tickets? What happens to them? It doesn't make sense. I think Jerry just has to eat it. Jerry eats it and George uses it for himself. I mean, he's eating it anyway. You, you can't just, like, buy a ticket on an airplane and then just, like, whoever shows up gets to go. I don't think it, it's not like a baseball game. Could you in 1994? Yeah, you probably could in 1994. Maybe not internationally. Like, this kid has a, has a, you know, a passport on, like, one day's notice. I don't know. And, like, does, you know, I don't know. Do you need, like, a visa? I'm not sure. I don't know. Be trickier these days, for sure. Definitely. Yeah, you, you, like, if the tickets are in your name, I don't think you could switch them. So, Kramer, Morty, and Jerry are waiting by the luggage carousel. Did Jack Klompas put these on a plane? I don't really understand. It doesn't make sense. It's like a body that goes on. There's a plane. Like, <laughs> can you put stuff on a plane? With, did he have to buy the like the luggage a seat? Can you just put it on a plane without? Like, did he FedEx something to the airport? Yeah, like you normally you FedEx something, but like you don't get to just pick it up at the point of where it gets into the airport. Doesn't make sense. So anyway, I guess Jack Klompas didn't tape up the boxes, and uh, there's just like raincoats everywhere. And there's no reason this has to be at the airport, also. So it's a little bit weird. Of the, you know, the show really needed us in the room that day. I really think you know they wanted the visual of like the luggage carousel coming with all of the rain coats falling out of it but yeah it, it's just very questionable how this passes the smell test at all yeah kids love the luggage carousel by the way <laughs> they certainly do and we know that kramer came through the luggage carousel at one point back in yes. the airport yeah well, my daughter will get on and like surf on it so while they're there at the airport we end up seeing <laughs> george with joey boarding that paris flight i mean it's sort of like an amazing coincidence that that Morty doesn't get on the flight that happens to be boarding right where his raincoats are coming into. Oh, an amazing coincidence, Rob. I think uh, most airports, especially in New York, where they're either at JFK <laughs> or LaGuardia, um, of course, the, the baggage claim is where the flights to France are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. George is uh, really taking the kid under his wing. He says, uh, you know, honesty, hard work. These are the values I was raised on. That's the most important thing, Joey. You have to be able to look at yourself in the mirror before you go to sleep at night. I got news for you, four eyes. There's no way yeah. you're staying with us. This, was George planning on staying with them and saving money? Probably. I don't know what George was planning to do. We don't get a lot of details about George's itinerary to Paris. Like he's really committing to this bit long term here. Yeah. So then we go to the antique store. Of Here's Frank now with Rudy. And uh, he can't believe that Rudy burned the clothes. Uh, and then he finds out that uh, George said he was dead. That's <laughs> yeah, a tough one yeah what am i worth yeah well he finds out that he squeezed an extra 25 dollars out of him for him being dead he should be proud he's you know he's a negotiator he should be proud of the of that he got 225 for these clothes well here comes morty seinfeld for this negotiation now again from what i understood the whole way through i thought that morty was just supplying the raincoats kramer had the relationship with rudy kramer was doing all the legwork now, all of a sudden, Morty Seinfeld is involved in this like high stakes negotiation with uh, Rudy from the thrift store. Where's Macklemore? Oh, boy. I think with with uh, the, the negotiation, uh, Kramer 
isn't the skilled negotiator. Like Morty knows raincoats. So now maybe going back to like what percentage he should get, it's got to be low, right? Because he's literally just telling him like he had the idea and he's just telling him about the store. But it's Morty's coats, Morty's shipping them and Morty is doing the sale. I feel like we're we're down like back down to ten percent for Kramer. Yeah. yeah, good job. Yeah, you gotta you gotta help the old man here. But you're saying Kramer's a bad negotiator. He got twenty five percent on this deal. So you're saying that? Oh, uh, so now you're like blowing my mind. You're saying he's a good negotiator because because he asks for a lot of money, but then he has like not he's not a good enough negotiator to uh, to like listen. Morty is too stubborn to let Kramer handle it because Morty could have gotten on the airplane, Rob, mm-hmm. and let Kramer handle the negotiation himself with the codes, like. Kramer could have picked up the coats, sold them to Rudy, and then given the money to Morty when he got back from France. All things that could have happened. Yes. So we see Morty and Frank sort of fighting over, I retract your invitation, I retract the retraction, and they're going back and forth. Moral of the story is that uh, Rudy is not buying any more clothes because that the Frank Costanza clothes had moths. So where does he get his clothes from if he's not buying clothes off the street? I think he's just selling the clothes he already has. That's it? And then he's going out of business? Exit strategy. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think... I don't know. Well, he says he's not buying clothes for, off the street anymore. He's just buying them, for, I guess, from like, I guess, you know, Macy's is like, okay, we have these suits we didn't sell. Oh, yeah, I guess maybe, yeah, old like vintage places do that. Like, they didn't sell it and it's out of season, so they sell to a used clothing store. Okay. But I feel like the idea of vintage isn't like last year. Right, because that's not used. That's just like, uh, right, that's new. It's just somebody else's, it's, you know, not worn clothes, so... I don't, maybe he just like he has his preferred sort of uh, like retail, not not retailers, but wholesalers, like, uh, wholesalers. And like he only takes from the used clothes wholesalers. I don't know. I don't know that um, maybe a, a bit of a, another hole uh, in the plot line, the plot armor of uh, the raincoats. Yeah. So then we are back at the airport. And so uh, we see Morty and Helen are going back to Miami, not to Paris. No, I mean, uh, I guess it's not Morty's money. So what does he care that, uh, that he's eating? What does he care? Right. Yeah, it's to him, it's more important that he's just like, you know, getting a little taste of the action than going to Paris. Yeah, he's back in the game. The juices are flowing. He got back in the game. And so we see that Aaron is there to send off uh, Morty and Helen before they go. Aaron is very broken up that they're leaving. <laughs> he's very upset. And so, uh, you know, Helen's like, okay, we'll call you when we get home. And Aaron says, thank you. Uh, Jerry's like, I think she's talking to me. And then uh, after they leave, Aaron does the uh, the Schindler's List bit of, you know, I could have done more. You know, I could have called the travel agency. I could have got them on another flight to Paris. I could have got them out. And uh, then uh, he does, uh, you know, this watch. I could have. Do you think most people watching that realize that that's a Schindler's List bit? I, I think so. I mean, I don't think they do. I don't think it's like obvious enough that the average person watching the episode now would realize that it's a Schindler's List. Well, yeah, I mean, Schindler's List is now, you know, good, what, going on almost like, uh, you know, 20 years old now. Yeah. So So I don't know. I don't know if that's apparent to the average viewer. Yeah, not sure. Uh, But he sort of like runs in and says, like, we need to get them hydrated. Uh, They need water. Also, like, uh, the the Seinfelds are not nearly as broken up to leave Aaron as he is to leave them. Like, they're pretty indifferent about him. No, they have a son. They don't need him. That's true. (laughs) They have a wealthy son. That's true. They don't need an even wealthier son. So then we see Jerry going to Rachel's parents' place, Mr. Goldstein, who is uh, somewhat imposing, right? He's a scary dude. Scary dude. And so he comes in and uh, he wants to know, is Rachel home? And he says, no, she cannot see you tonight or any other night because of what you did. I mean, Newman, like, really is going out of his way here to, to tell on Jerry. Right. And uh, what a coincidence is I heard about your behavior at the movies the other night and it was disgraceful. 
Uh, I won't allow my daughter to be involved with someone of such weak moral fiber. Uh, and he says, my postman happened to tell me about it. And he's a, a heavy set portly fellow. <laughs> what? It's so necessary to mention that. <laughs> Newman's weight, right? Yes. And he closes the door. That's it. Sorry, Jerry. But then you say she's back in the next episode. Yeah, because because who cares what the dad says? <laughs> I guess so. he didn't have that poll. No, no poll. All right. So then uh, Jerry and Elaine are back there. And uh, Jerry is telling the story about how what happened when they got home. The whole place was robbed because Klompus broke the window and then uh, burglars came in. What else could have been in this garage besides used raincoats? Yeah, but I think they broke into the house. Oh, you mean they got into the house through the garage? I think that the garage must have been connected to the house, and then once they're in the garage, and they got into the house. Oh, yeah, you're right. That makes sense. Yeah, so I don't know what sort of goods. Maybe they stole the sofa bed. Yeah, I don't know. Like, there's not so many valuables lying around there. <laughs> yeah, so then uh, we see Jerry and Elaine are talking about Aaron, and so uh, they really can't believe it, and... Uh, she says that, uh, did you ever notice that he stood so close to you when he was talking? Jerry says nope, he never had, noticed. Hadn't noticed. <laughs> Finally, Newman comes in and uh, very similar to the end of the barber. Yeah, it is. I mean, except he's not he's not like uh, pinning him down and cutting his hair there. Yeah. So there's Newman. And once again, it's like uh, Jerry's like the school bully, like beating up Newman. You know, it's you know, no wonder Newman is always like messing with Jerry. And uh, like Jerry ends up uh, asking Newman if he saw, uh, you know, he saw him coming out of Schindler's List. And uh, he says, uh, it's a powerful film. And, uh, you know, it's the uh, the shocking brutality, don't you think? Jerry says to Newman. And Jerry says, well, that was nothing. That was nothing. The Holocaust movie. <laughs> the Holocaust was nothing. I mean, to be fair. Yeah. Jerry didn't see the movie. So he has no idea. He has no idea. He knows it's a love story. Yeah. And he goes running after Newman. Yeah. Interesting line. <laughs> Really? I mean, wow, what is he going to do with it? <laughs> maybe he meant that uh, Maybe he meant that when he cut his hair in the barber, that was nothing compared to what he's got to do to him. I don't know. I don't know. And then we see George in Paris uh, with the kid, and uh, apparently the father is uh, ditching Joey. Yeah, I mean, you know, what, what's uh, we know he's a deadbeat. We don't know where the mom is, so yeah. George is stuck. And he's putting stuff on uh, George's glasses. And then the very last shot we see in the episode is uh, we see Estelle and Frank on their cruise and they run into uh, Morty and Helen. Oops, that's awkward. <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do? Anyway, so then our final bit of stand up is uh, Jerry's talking about personal distance and ATM distance. Yeah, I do. I do think and we get into this ATM distance uh, more next week. But okay. I think I think, uh, you know, you you don't want to stand too close. You don't want to. Nobody ever wants to know the other person's password, but you want to, like, be comfortable that they're not looking at your password. Yeah, and we'll talk about ATM passwords more in the future. But yeah, so the uh, ATM distance, I don't think that's really changed from 94. Um, no, I think it's, uh, yeah, because we still have the same dumb way of getting money out. And, you de- you know, you still don't want people to know. So it's true. Yeah, okay. It's a little bit like clearing your cash on the on a computer that's like, you know, that multiple people use also. It's like, uh, you know, same thing with your, you know, Citibank account or whatever. All right. So, Akiva, is there anything from the 94 to 2015 conversion that we didn't cover? Hmm. I guess people still wear raincoats. Yeah. Um, I don't know, like how, how he could have sold them on eBay, I feel like. Right. So, I um, feel like, you know, take a smartphone picture of the raincoats and I feel like you could have gotten uh, some more people in the game than just Rudy. Yeah, I, I, I do think, uh, right, you don't want to sell it, narrow it down to one buyer. Um, and plus, like, yeah, he could have done it and still gone on the, on the cruise. Yeah. I mean, still on to Paris. All right. So then let's just talk about it. I like what we did last week with the letter grade for everybody's story. Can we go through, go through that real quick? Yeah. Who, yeah. There's a lot going on here. So it's, it's not as simple as normal. a lot going on here. So 
Why don't we start with Jerry and his main story of that uh, he cannot get with Rachel because his parents are in town. The idea that he can't get with Rachel, that his parents are in town, isn't that funny. But I feel like we can't give short shrift to the idea that he's making out during Schindler's List, which is probably the most, in hindsight, me- most memorable thing of this episode. So yeah. I'll give it an A-. minus. A-. minus. I'll, I'll say it's a B. Yeah, it, you know, for a 40-minute episode, there aren't a lot of great moments, but, you know, we can't we can't just throw away a classic bit here. How about Elaine, that she dates the close talker and gets annoyed that he is hanging out with Jerry's parents the whole time? I mean, Elaine has very light lifting in this episode, even though, like, her storyline isn't that minor. It's Aaron really doing uh, most of the talking here. So I'll give, I mean, I, I mean, it depends what you think of Judge Reinhold and, and of Aaron here. It is a funny idea, like this guy who's obsessed with old people, and he's not the worst supporting character we've ever seen, but uh, he's annoying, so I'll give him a B-. minus. Yeah, I'll say it's a C. I think the thing that's memorable about this guy is that he's the close talker, but the close talker thing isn't really explored. We spend most of the episode with him hanging out with the Seinfeld, so yeah. I feel like that the thing that he's most known for is not the thing that he spends the most time doing in the episode. Yeah, it's not like the low talker we had where you know that's going to end up being like a major plot of the point of the plot it's just a funny thing here close talking really does not rear its ugly head at any point in terms of uh, where the story is going no all right what about kramer he's selling the raincoats getting the money he's working with morty i mean almost like an incomplete there's very little going on here for kramer give him a c (laughs) yeah i think it starts to uh set up the stuff with george i I have no problem with uh with what kramer's i'll I'll give him it's not a bad storyline but and he has got a couple good pratfalls so i'll give him a c plus all right and then what about george i mean you know it's it's weird he has like like normal he has normal interactions with his parents in this episode it is funny that he's willing to commit to the bit to go to you know to go to paris just to keep up the lie basically Mm -hmm. so that's funny but i i do think like there's a lot of uh, you know, there's there's a lot of meat that was left on the bone here. So I'll, I'll give George a B minus. <laughs> See, I feel like that I have to lump Frank Costanza in with George because we're not going to give him an individual grade. And I feel like that he's so good. I'll say that George, I'll give him an A minus. Okay. Yeah. I guess if you're including the Frank stuff, then you do bump up the grade. Yeah. And, uh, he's so fun. I'm so happy we're in the Frank Costanza area. He is. Yeah. Frank, Frank gold. is gold every time he's on the screen. It is yeah. true. He has not had a misfire yet. No, there aren't a lot of misfires from Frank. And he, unlike um, Morty, who never really carries an episode himself, you know, we'll see Frank carry a couple episodes down the stretch. So then let's talk about your ranking for this. Now, do you rank the two parts together? Yes, I rank the two parts together. It's really one episode. One episode. Where are the raincoats in the top 180? I mean, to me, they they could have done so much. Like if you're giving them an hour for a storyline, like we see with The Boyfriend or, uh, you know, with the finale... Uh, the pilot, I, I you know, th- there's so many places they can go. So I do feel like they under delivered. And this is an OK, you know, 22 minute episode. But I feel like 44 minute episode, uh, they really don't bring a lot to the table. Being out there in Schindler's List is funny, but it's just like a two second gag. So I have this at 125. 125. Yeah, it seems like this was sort of like stuck in the middle between where it was like they had probably too much good stuff for one episode, but probably not enough meat here for two episodes. Yeah, I agree. They could have done the supersize office style, like 40 minutes. Right. All right. So then let's go into some of these emails. Of course, every week Seinfeld at Post Show Recaps is where our emails come into. Let's start off with our buddy Johnny D. Silvera. Uh, Johnny wants to know... Is this the first episode when somebody other than Jerry would greet Newman with, hello, Newman? Um, I think so, yeah. <laughs> he also wants to know, who's more controlling, Estelle and Morty or Rachel's father? 
Oh, Rachel's father is, I mean, we don't know much about him, but he seems pretty tough. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's one of those, you know, bring my home, bring my daughter home by 11 or I'm calling the cops or I'm coming to get you myself with my shotgun. <laughs> yeah. Well, we did see Frank Costanza ground George at some point, but then we never really saw what the punishment was. That's true. Yeah, I think here we're pretty sure that Rachel's punishment is just for next week's episode. All right. So let's go in and uh, let's dig in with Craig. Okay, so here's what Craig has to say about this episode. He says that yesterday I was walking to school, listening to the Seinfeld podcast, and as Akiva began to read out Scott LaRose's jokes, I slipped in a patch of mud, sprained my right ankle in two places, and tweaked my knee. So not only was I lying on the muddy ground, writhing in pain, I also had to endure Scott LaRose's horrible comedy. So it was not a good day. You know, this is a thing. Like people post, people write to you, I've seen and been like, I was watching your podcast and I got into a car accident. I was listening <laughs> to your podcast, right? You've seen that a few times. Yes, yes. So I, do you think podcasts should be outlawed? Like they're very dangerous. Hmm. Well, I feel like that if you were listening to like a Taylor Swift song, you could just as easily get in a car accident. No, because you're not in the song. Like sometimes you listen to music and you don't even realize you're listening to music. I also, I have a problem, Rob. So you think talk radio should be outlawed? No, because it's not as intimate of a medium as podcasting. Hmm. With podcasting, you don't even remember that what you're doing. So you think that people just get so taken out of what they're doing. They're like, yes, yes. Oh, that is a good point, Akiva. Yes, oh, you're right. Um, I think I think if we, they're probably not thinking, I had a good point. They're probably like, oh, he forgot to say something there. But I think if we commissioned the study, I do think that podcasting would be, have the most accidents per, you know, listener capita. Well, or I will be like the Roger Goodell and I will do whatever I can in my power to bury those <laughs> yeah, findings. Like my research is showing that uh, people actually are driving safer when they're, uh, listening to podcasts. There is no video of of Craig, of Craig spreading. Believe his me, if ankle. I see a video of somebody <laughs> listening to a podcast and crash, I'll do something about it. But I mean, right now, I mean, with our new programs of like podcast driving awareness, uh, I mean, people are uh, like we're 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 teaching kids to drive from an early age listening to podcasts and they're being much safer. You can't even teach driver's ed now without this <laughs> podcast certification. I do think hopefully he wasn't in an elevator when he, when he sprained his ankle crash, <laughs> because then there's, you know, and or at a casino, then there's for sure footage. I also have to complain um, about our listeners, which I normally don't do. <laughs> oh. I'm on, I'm on Scott LaRose's Twitter page and like six or seven of our listeners followed him since the episode. Oh, not, come on now. not what we wanted. I'm going to call them out. Travis <laughs> Almondinger, you better unfollow Scholar Rose by next week. Some of these guys, James, <laughs> Cody Patterson. Come on, guys. We don't want you following him. <laughs> yeah. Scholar Rose is like, hey, what did I do? I'm, uh, people are <laughs> loving this stuff. <laughs> Big week. They must have really replayed my episode a bunch of times. Yeah, I am on fire. <laughs> I'm going to go pick up some olives. All right. Uh, also, then uh, Craig said, uh, now to the episode, it's not one of my favorites. It has Jerry's parents. So that's already a strike. Uh, th- and we know three strikes and you're out. I don't like Jerry's parents as characters. I feel like Seinfeld double episodes are never the best, but there are some good moments. And he cites as a movie theater usher, I can tell you that I have seen this and worse at a theater. Whoa. Yeah, I mean, it, right. Like you could have said, it could have gone past kissing at a certain point. And he says that I once caught a woman straddling a guy in the theater once. I'm just glad that their pants was on uh, in the right place uh, when I went up there. I mean, here's the thing. What's in it for you? If you're the usher, you know, presumably you're not getting paid that much money when you're a movie theater usher. Like, what's in it for you to, like, stop these people? I think you get fired if, like, you know, your manager comes in and people are having intercourse in the theater. Yeah, but he, if it if it really goes past what it's doing then, then you break it up. Like you keep an eye on you're, that. You're such a bro. You're like, hey, no, no I, I'm not let being a, a bro. Play. I'm, 
<laughs> I'm not even saying that. I'm not. I'm not getting mad at like breaking up the scene here. Don't be a blogger. Like, it's weird. <laughs> it's weird to. It's weird to be like the guy who's. It's an awkward conversation. Like, and then they don't stop, and you're calling security. It's like just leave them alone. Are they bothering people really? If people complain, then you got to stop them. I mean, I think you're not allowed to be on your phone. Yeah, I mean, you get shushed in the movie theater. Uh, I mean, I think that you probably should not be able to get to first base or further in the movies. I guess. Yeah, that's true. Especially if it's Schindler's List. I don't think that's the movie he broke up the... uh, (laughs) Right, (laughs) right. All right, let's check in with Amir. Uh, He wants to know, how does Kramer fit into Frank's old clothes? Michael Richards is 10 inches taller than Jerry Stiller and has a completely different body type. That seems ridiculous. I I don't understand any of this stuff with clothes. Like, my nine-year-old daughter like was borrowing clothes from my wife's friend who's 30. And like, I don't know, they don't don't look the same. Like, I don't know uh, how this works, but apparently clothes fit on everybody. Also, Amir says, uh, Jerry and Rachel start making out during the coming attractions and continue doing so throughout the entirety of the movie. What normal adults make out for two and a half hours or three hours or three hours and 20 minutes? Yeah, I mean, if there was a bunch of previews, this is almost this is like four hours of making out. Yeah. And do they, you think they stopped during the credits or they waited till like the lights come on? After the <laughs> lights come on. So then Amir says, additionally, without going into too much detail, how exactly does this help Jerry's problem of being backed up? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I, it doesn't make any sense. Jerry's plan here was uh, was not great. Do we need to uh, reach out to any of our medical correspondents about this? I think we can handle this one ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) And so Amir also says, it's so astonishingly out of character for George to give Rudy back the 225, especially once he wasn't getting the clothing back in return. There's no way George stands for that. Yeah, we agree. We said this already, but it it doesn't make any sense that he doesn't put up more of a fight. Rudy's in the right in the sense that he should get the stuff back. But when you're bought, like you can't return used clothing, right? So Mm -hmm. he shouldn't be, the opposite should be true also. Like, if he buys a dud, he shouldn't be lemon law. You know, he shouldn't be he shouldn't be out the money. There's a lemon law. Like, I don't know. Clothing lemon law, I guess. OK, and then uh, let's get to uh, Chester. By the way, uh, Craig also in his email had said that he was upset with our schedule uh, that we had done the podcast a week early and he was not able to get in his comment complaining about Chester in a timely manner. <laughs> oh, compl- he wanted to complain about him. Yes. So he was not able to get that. Very out. heated because we got a couple more tweets saying that they like Chester. So <laughs> I feel like everyone has an opinion on Chester. <laughs> that should be the poll question for this week. Right. <laughs> That's not bad. So Chester wants to know, why would Jerry's uh, parents let him pay for their vacation to Paris? They don't even let him pay for a meal. I mean, maybe at a certain point, like once he went on The Tonight Show, they realized like, oh, he's big time. Once you're on TV, everyone thinks you're rich. Then Chester wants to know, if Alec is so friendly with George and Jerry, why doesn't George cite him when he's trying to prove to his Yankees boss that he has black friends? I mean, again, if you're only in the show once, you're almost not canon. It's not like they're ever like, hey, you remember that low talker that, you know, they never mention these people. Mm-hmm. Then George's foolproof postcard scam makes no sense. Uh, what if Alec runs into him in the neighborhood, you know, uh, like he did in this episode, especially since he meets up with Alec in the very same coffee shop he visits daily? The whole concept of the show is that you run into people you know all the time. I think we we decided that George was going to hide out in his apartment for a few weeks. Also, did you watch the deleted scene? No, I didn't see it. In the deleted scene, it's so weird that like Alec comes back and talks to, I forget who, if he talks to Jerry or George. And basically it's like, hey, you know, those postcards I got from you. It's so weird because they were postmarked from Florida. So it's like, wait, what happened? Like, did they Did the Seinfelds forget to send the postcards or, or they never they never got them back and they still put them in the mailbox yeah that is weird it really was weird like again deleted for a reason yeah that's confusing also that there is by the way there are about six scenes here that could have been deleted 
And then Chester wants to know, what's the least appropriate movie either of you has made out during? I think I'm 0 for 2 here. I, I barely go to the movies. And <laughs> so I'm 0 for 2. Uh, I'm trying to think. <laughs> Boy. Um, definitely not, I don't think, in the movie theater. I'm sure at some point, like, there's, this is like the precursor to Netflix and chill, right? Oh, I hear you. That's different. <laughs> that's different. If the, you're just, if you're including your own house, I feel like that's yeah. a totally different question. <laughs> But how many like inappropriate, there are very few inappropriate movies that it's like, oh my gosh, you did that during that. It's like, it's really, the list is basically just Schindler's List. Yeah. Like you could do it during Saving Private Ryan, during like a war movie. Okay, sure. I mean, there's also weird, like what about, we have to think of like other really bad movies. I don't know, like Black Hawk Down is a weird one. Yeah. I don't think that I would even have on a movie that was like, that was like that. So you'd shut it off at a certain point. I, how about Hotel Rwanda? That would be a terrible movie to make out there. <laughs> I would think so. I would think so. <laughs> it would be nice to hear from the listeners in the comments. Uh, if they yeah, have give any. us give us good movies for uh, you know, or bad movies, movies that would be inappropriate to make yeah. out there. All right. So Akiva, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Of course, we get your emails every week. Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. Scott St. Pierre has uh, a, a real chore to get through uh, this two-hour episode today. Thank you guys for listening to it. Uh, Mike Moore will have a, probably an extra-long recap of all of this. What's the hashtag for this? Yeah, I've been thinking. I don't really have a great one. So do you have any? Schindler's Lust. <laughs> okay, that's not bad. <laughs> Is that appropriate? Is that bad? Uh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could say, Schind- you can, you could say it. Time has passed. <laughs> Okay. I, isn't there like didn't south park have a, have like a, a, an episode once where it's like after 18 years or 21 years everything's funny so it's been 21 years so we're good to go uh so you could say schindler's list hashtag schindler's list okay what's the next episode uh so we got a good one we have the fire next week okay we got john favreau coming to town bozo the clown should be good <laughs> all right good stuff thank you guys so much for listening to this extra long seinfeld podcast boy we're raising so much money for charity with these podcasts these days does this count this is a two-part episode oh yeah we got to pick a charity at the end of the season yeah uh, we it, it's up to the it's up to our uh big time donor but uh, i think it should count <laughs> our benefactor dan all right well thank you guys uh so much have a good one and of course uh, we appreciate when you subscribe to the podcast go to postshowrecaps.com slash seinfeld itunes take care everybody bye